This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 375. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your substitute host, Jacob Paulson. I am joined today by co-host Matthew Merrister. Hello. How are you, Jacob? I don't give you weird, awkward titles like Riley does. No, no. I mean, they're nice. He, he means well, but I feel a little bit weird. Yeah, it's his thing. It's just... I, yeah, I'm not a, you know, I'm just, you guys just let me join in. So I'm, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Uh, you're a humble dude. All right. So today's going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about draw stroke and some legal things. It's going to be really interesting. I suspect that you are going to get something out of this because, you know, otherwise, why would we talk about it? But first, two sponsor messages. And these sponsor messages are rather fitting because of our topic. Uh, later in today's episode, we're going to discuss the differences between gun law, the you know, laws that regulate firearm possession, uh, and then we're also, and the difference between that and laws that regulate the use of force in one's self-defense. So what I like to call and refer to as self-defense law and gun law. And so today we have two sponsors that represent those two things very well. First sponsor is, today is the Law of Self-Defense Level 1 Core Class. This is a class uh, previously always taught in person by Andrew Branca from the Law of Self-Defense that he has recorded to DVD. It's about eight hours long, so it's a full day course. And you, I think it's actually split up on either three or four DVDs, but you buy it as a single DVD set and it's available at concealedcarry.com forward slash law of self-defense. Or no, excuse me, concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. That's right. We abbreviated that. So that'd be way too much to type. So go to <laughs> concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D and order your level one course DVD today. Uh, if you haven't reviewed that DVD, I think you're missing out because he really takes what starts out as a very simple concept, kind of the five elements of self-defense, and he takes each of them very deeply. Uh, he thinks of that course uh, ultimately as, as, you know, what... A person really needs to know if they're going to walk around with a gun, what they need to know about self-defense law. And I think it's very comprehensive and very good. So I'll check that out. And then our second sponsor today is the Legal Boundaries by State book. This is a book that we print to, uh, and, you know, and publish here at concealedcarry.com, available both in electronic format as well as uh, physically available as a book. And it covers gun law. Uh, not self-defense law, but gun law for each of the 50 states, which of course in, varies enormously from state to state. So I'd encourage you to get your copy today. It starts at $9.99 for the electronic version of the book and $19.99 for the physical book uh, or combo uh, for the both. So you can find that book at www.concealedcarry.com forward slash gun law book. Okay, that's the story. So... Matthew. Yes, sir. One draw stroke to rule them all. So here's where I'm at. We often see people who come to a class or something like that, and they have a, a draw stroke, right? A method or mechanism by which they draw their firearm out of their holster and present it to target that is pretty functional in the context of being on the range, you know, standing there with nothing, no obstruction between you and the target and getting the gun to the target fast, and some of them clearly have practiced it quite a bit. They have, you know, very highly developed, you know, muscle memory. If you can use, if we can use that term, Riley hates it when I use that term. And they they can get it done pretty quickly. But does that always hold up? You know, in every situation where you might need to draw a gun. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, 
It's an interesting way to think about it because, and, and, and we're always talking about, you know, everything that you practice on the, on the flat range, right. Can't necessarily predict what's going to happen in real life, but we will, we look at these videos and we, and we see how, how it actually plays out in real life most of the times. Um, and I'll tell you, it's interesting. You, you, you know, you obviously want to work for a great draw stroke, but when you see things happen in real life, it's never as smooth as what you're running on uh, at, at, you know, at the, at the range, right? Like, because if you go to draw your, your gun, whatever position you're carrying it and you don't clear over garment or something like that, a lot of people just stop and be like, okay, let me do it over. Right. Like, let me get a redo. But in, in, in real life, you don't get a redo. Right. So you got to work through all that stuff. So I think when we watch videos and stuff, it, it looks a lot more sloppy than than what we're used to when we see it on the range. Um, but that's that's no mean to, doesn't even mean to say or infer that, you know, you shouldn't practice and, you know, just be sloppy because it'll pretty much get you through most of the scenarios you need. Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to start, you know, kind of getting deeper into this. I'm going to start with something you just said. You mentioned clearing an overgarment or a cover garment or, you know, jacket, coat, coat, vest, or shirt or whatever. And I think this is an interesting one because that varies from situation to situation, right? This morning I was wearing a coat when I took my kids to school and dropped them off. Now I'm not. Um, but I, I do, you know, I do have a shirt on that's covering up my gun. And so if I were to draw right now, I'd have to clear the shirt, but you know, later tonight I might be walking the dog and I'd have to clear the shirt and the coat that go, that coat may be zipped up or it may not be. So how do we, how do we manage a draw stroke such that I don't have to think about that and, and, and pull the file. I, I mean, let me, let me make really clear what I'm trying to say. If I have different draw strokes, right. For different situations, that opens me up to a lot of vulnerability. I have to then, in the moment I decide to go for the gun, I have to, in that moment, go into my brain and say, pull the file uh, in the archive for drawing a gun when I have a coat on that's unzipped. And, and the brain's like, okay, open file. You know, uh, right. First, sweep back with this with strong hand, then go for a shirt with support hand. Like, that's that's a disaster waiting to happen. If I have to, if I got five different draw strokes cataloged, this is the one I use when I'm seated in the car. This is the one I use, you know, for this. That that's problematic. But on the flip side, the the contrary argument, Matthew, is well, okay. Let's say then that I'm always every time I draw, no matter what, I'm always going to take my strong my strong hand, my right hand, because I'm right handed, and I'm always going to sweep it. I'm going to start at the middle of my chest, and I'm always going to sweep it rearward a little bit in case I happen to have an unzipped jacket or coat on. That'll get that out of the way while my support hand goes for the shirt. Okay. Well, great. Now I have a universal thing in place that will work all the time. However, if I don't have that jacket or coat on, have I wasted time and energy unnecessarily? Yeah. And, and that's, and I was tracking along with you a hundred percent because that's the argument. And that's why, that's why what we do on the range isn't always what needs to happen in real life. So in, in my eyes, and this is just my opinion and, and people can disagree or, or whatnot, but in my opinion, um, you want to make it as basic as possible and, and make the movements as universally applicable as possible as well. Right. So yeah, sweeping back like that may 
make your draw stroke out slightly longer than the person who's who's practicing right from the holster and 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 they've just kind of uh done the same thing i always wear a t-shirt and that's how i always practice and that's how i'm going to do it and maybe a little bit slower but i would challenge somebody who, who who kind of builds in a you know a default draw where i'm sweeping a jacket away even if there's not a jacket there and, and somebody who has never done that and always practice in the, you know, maybe they're, you know, strong side or, you know, uh, outside the waistband holster on their strong side hip and then throw a cover garment on them and see if just putting a cover garment on them slows them down much more than the person who automatically, you know, kind of built that into mm-hmm. every single one of their draws and, and, and the difference. And I, I would suspect, and I've never done a, a an actual, uh, you know, study. And I think this would be really interesting to do, but I would suspect that the person who's, who's never really practiced that motion messes it up more times than not, or is slower in that draw than the person who always builds that in. Yeah. And so I, I, yeah, I, I see where you're coming. That's a good argument, right? I think what, I mean, here's, if I understand what you say, let me repeat it for myself. Okay. Let, you know, let's say it's you and me and we're, you, you're the guy who you always clear the cover garment, even if it's not there. Mm-hmm. You always sweep the jacket and coat out of the way, regardless right. if it's there or not. And I don't. I always just, boom, go, you know, pull shirt and go. And therefore, I'm arguably at an advantage in speed. Definitely. Uh, uh, but, but it's pretty minute. I mean, that advantage is pretty dang minute because when, as you're clearing that cover garment out of the way with your strong hand, you're already going, you know, for your shirt with the support. And so, so how much faster are you? It's, it's a minute advantage. However, in the day we're both wearing coats, Right, <laughs> I, what you're saying is my advantage is so much more significant in that scenario that your argument is, even though I'm slightly slower most of the time, should that situation ever happen where there is a cover garment, I'll kill it compared to the person who doesn't train it. Yeah, and and I and I think I mean, and, and to a certain point, right? Like we can't build in all these different things. Like, well, if I'm wearing a hat or this, you know what I mean? Like, make it so complex. But I think. You know, you, I, I, I think about how you draw a, a, a spare magazine, right? Like you go to the first magazine center of the line closest to center, and then you kind of sweep back. And, and so that way, if you have multiple magazines, you're not grabbing a magazine that's in the back and not in the front and, and kind of missing that magazine. So I, I, I think we kind of build in some sort of, um, I don't want to say fail safe, but some sort of basic fundamental things that we do that, you know, will kick in if we're in that scenario. And now, and I'm not saying somebody who says, Hey, if I know I'm not wearing a jacket, I'm not going to sweep my arm. If, if you have that level of consciousness in the given moment, then of course, you know, go straight to the point. But I'm saying if we're going to default to a certain standard or a certain procedure, um, then that procedure needs to be applicable to most, I, I think, to to as many scenarios as you possibly can, even if on the range, your buddy beats you by half a second every single time because he's going right to the gun and, and you're kind of building in this loop. It, it could mm-hmm. be argued that that half second hey, could get you killed. I, I don't, you know, every scenario is different, but on the flip side, not being able to get your gun out of your jacket because you've never practiced could also get you killed. So the same sure. argument could be made. So yeah. I, I, I just think it's a different way of looking at it and, and you judge what you're, what you're comfortable with. 
Yeah, I, I, no, exactly. You hit. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about here. Is you know, we got to make some decisions. I mean, I'll give you an example. I when I put on a jacket or coat, I always zip it up. Maybe even just a little bit. Even if it's just six six eight inches. Because then I don't have to think about sweeping it out of the way. Right. When I go and grab my shirt, I'm going to get the coat and I'm going to pull it all up at the same time. Uh, versus if it's unzipped and I attempt to just go and grab shirt and pull it up, that jacket can flop over and get in the way of my draw stroke. And so it really needs to be cleared independently. So, so yeah, on one hand, it's sort of like, well, I can make a decision to always just clear that cover garment or... I can make the decision to always wear the coat and jacket in a way that it's not necessary. And, you know, because I carry appendix, it's a, it's a pretty clean thing. Whereas if I carried three or four o'clock, maybe, maybe I'd always wear my jacket un, unzipped because mm-hmm. that, I don't know, like I'd have to think about that. But I, I think that's, that's kind of the point here. Now, l- let me give another example of this. So I was watching a YouTube video yesterday of a guy who he was doing a review and I was watching and, and, uh, he had a pretty fast draw type. He was moving pretty, he was cooking. Um, I mean, pretty impressive. I mean, you know, sub one seconds, right? Like nine, one, nine, five point nine six, whatever. And, uh, Riley happened to be with me and I was like, yeah, he's, he's moving pretty quick. That's pretty good. And I said, yeah, but, um, he has a, he has a technique problem. And the technique problem was he would kind of bring gun up to center mass. And as he would start to punch out, that's when his support hand would kind of meet his, his strong hand mid extension. And it's a very minor thing. I mean, super minor little thing. But we see a lot of people who kind of do what I call um, shortest distance draw. And shortest distance draw, what I mean by that is if I want to get my gun to full extension, right, with my with my elbows locked and out, then the shortest distance from holster to full extension is a straight line. Right. So they come out of the holster and then they just, boom, straight line it, right? Like right, just as, as direct of a line as you can get from hip or you know, waistline straight to extension. As opposed to what we tend to teach, which is sort of, you know, you ride that gun up against the body to center mass to you know, center chest and then push straight out. And there's reasons for that. We can talk about that. But, but one of them is this one draw stroke to rule them all concept because there's huge potential failures if you're doing shortest, you know, shortest distance between two point draw. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would say, um, you know, and, and if you're kind of listening and you're having trouble, you know, uh, visualizing this, think of it's almost, I don't want to say it's a bowling technique, but it's almost if you've seen people bring the gun up and then kind of let their arm go down and, and bowl up, it's not as pronounced as that, but it's the same concept of they're going from the holster straight out um, on an kind of like an upward arc or upward yeah. line. Yeah, almost like a 45 degree, like str- a straight line at about 45 degrees from waist to extension. Right. And and so, it, and, and you know, in your mind, you're saying, okay, well, that makes sense because the, the, the shortest you know, distance is a straight line that, that should be the quickest. Um, the, the only problem with that is, like you said, there are very um, serious issues or I don't want to say serious, but there are mechanical problems with that that will start to manifest when you start trying to draw in other scenarios, like if you're in a vehicle or like if you're in a compromised position or if you have a different uh, overgarment on or something like that. So those types of things um, it, it make it difficult to be consistent because um, it, it's interesting because the people that it, I, I, I've seen several videos like this as well. And it's almost like they're shooting one handed because that support hand hasn't quite gotten as firm 
because it's starting a little bit further out and hasn't really, they haven't married that, that grip very well. So the first shot is great, but follow-up shots tend to not be as accurate because they're still kind of developing that grip halfway to, to extension rather than starting the grip back towards the chest. And as they get to full extension, that grip is solid. So I, I, I and, and it goes back and this is the thing I love time drills and I think they're very uh, appropriate and very, you need to be, you know, getting yourself on a timer and finding your, your times. But when your time is the only thing that's dictating how you perform, sometimes you do something just for the sake of getting us a, a quicker time, but it hurts you in, in, in actual application of the fundamentals and, and, and hurts you. Maybe your, your draw to first shot is very quick, but if you run a bill drill, it's not as tight as if, you know, you took a, a third of a second and, and brought the gun up straight and then, uh, you know, up high and, and drove it out. And it's going to cost you a third of a second, but your follow-up shots, you're going to be much more uh, quick on those and more accurate. That's debatable if it's going to cost you a third of a second at all in my opinion. Right. I mean, because I, I definitely have seen people who do the shortest distance draw. I'm, uh, and by the way, I made up that term like three minutes ago. So if anyone like, goes out I'm like, hey, so do you do the shortest distance draw? You, FYI, no one's going to know what you're talking about. I just made that up. <laughs> uh, but if, if you do, like I've seen people who do the shortest distance draw and their muscle memory is very strong because they've done it so many times. The repetition is so good that they really can just pop it straight out to that extension point. That's where the sights are acquired. But they, but the muscle memory is so strong that boom, they can get it there and they can fire, and they they get they hit what they're shooting at, uh, and 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 maybe they can even you know acquire really strong grip. Like all that is possible. I don't think it's as easy to do that well as it is to push out from the chest straight forward, where you've you you marry those hands back here at the chest and then you push the gun out. It's easier to be accurate faster that way because you build the grip earlier. You can shoot earlier. Because you can start shooting when that gun's in high ready. You don't have to shoot when it's at extension. You can shoot during the extension or before the extension. You also acquire the sights faster because they're in your line of sight, your vision, right? During that entire extension as they come out to that forward point. So, you, oh, oh, and Jared, by the way, is commenting. He says he's heard that term before. Okay, I didn't make it up. I didn't make <laughs> it up. So everyone knows what shortest distance is then. Just me. Okay, so, so you can acquire your sights faster because they're in your line of vision longer before you hit the full point of extension but and this is kind of where we started talking about this the one of the biggest issues i see with with a with a different type of draw stroke is to your point matthew it, it won't work in all the different situations uh what happens you know for example i'll come up when we're teaching people to draw from a seated position in a class and i'll hold a book or a clipboard in front of them kind of in front of their chest and i'll say this is the restaurant table you're sitting at a booth or you're sitting at a restaurant and this is the table with your food sitting on it. Now draw. And people will run the gun into my book all the time. And they're just like pop. And I'm like, oh, so you can't draw. The table's in the way. Like, how, what are you going to do now? And and so a lot of people, they that draw works for them so consistently, the majority of the, the practice and the training they do. But in that one scenario, it's like, oh, now it's not working or the steering wheel, you know, put them in a car and have them do that same draw and pop. They run right into the steering wheel. And, and that's, that's a problem. Now to your, your point, Matthew, earlier, you said, you know, could it be that some people just do have the cognitive ability in the moment to say, you know, pro my primary draw stroke X is not going to work in this scenario. Therefore, you know, run, run draw stroke Y, <laughs> you know, can, can some people do that? 
maybe, maybe, but I think you're better off to have one draw stroke that rules them all. Yeah, and, and I will make one, like hammer one point that you made, and because I think it's super important. Um, when we're talking about you know quickest uh, distance draw stroke or whatever, um, and you mentioned about picking up your sights. I'll tell you, this is this is a, a, a huge thing. So if you're shooting point shooting distance, right, and, and you're really just point shooting and you bring the gun up, you don't need to use the sights. But if you still need to shoot quickly, but you need to use your sights, bringing the gun up higher allows you to pick up the sights earlier, and it will make you more accurate because now you can see your sights, uh, whereas the other way, you're bringing your gun up and then you're trying to find your sights. So I, I think that there's also an application, of course, like if, if I'm point shoot distance and I bring the gun up, yeah, I, I can get the gun up, um, but I can't see my sights. And there absolutely is application for that. But I would say that if you can get the gun up high and start picking up your sights early, it's not going to slow you down and it allows you to use that draw stroke in many other different scenarios or, 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 or circumstances, which will benefit you greatly. And, and, and so, uh, and we haven't even talked about, you know, gun disarms and things like that, where if you're just sweeping the gun up and you know, you're in a, you're in a bad position if you're bringing the gun up because somebody can push the gun right back down. If you bring the gun up high, I can still start engaging the target uh, or the threat from from that compressed position so there's a there's a lot of different things but i i i do agree with you a hundred percent that while there probably there are probably are people that can in the moment consciously say i can do this or maybe they're using a, 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 a covert type draw because they have more time or or they're blading their body and getting in a position um and, and so i'm going to draw my gun a certain way but i think um, if you kind of build in a, a default that will work for 95% or 99% of the situations, then you're probably better prepared than a draw stroke that's very specific to uh, a point shoot. You know, I bring it up and shoot as quickly as I can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, uh, I think you know, what we're, me and Matthew are trying to communicate here is that. We're not saying that the way we draw is the way you is the best way to draw necessarily, though obviously we think so, or we wouldn't we wouldn't draw that way. But what we are saying is, regardless of what you think your best method is, make sure you don't forget this very serious consideration, right? That that your draw stroke should be as universal as possible. So if right now you're thinking about your current draw stroke and you're saying, oh my gosh, it's 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 going to have issues in these scenarios and these scenarios and these scenarios, then work through that. Now you can change your draw stroke completely and do something different. That's fine. Or you can just decide that you're going to you know tweak it this way or you're just going to memorize three different draw strokes. Like whatever you want to do is fine. We What I don't want to have happen though, the, the kind of the point here, the message is don't, don't be ignorant about this. Understand that that you're you're creating a challenge if you are going to have to draw differently in different scenarios and so where possible make it as universal as possible and understand the limitations of whatever you're doing and, and the situations where it's not going to work and and train and practice and have that you know to the best of your ability in your 
in your, you know, in your toolbox, I guess, in your, in your kit. Um, you, you mentioned contact shots. And I wasn't going to come back to that really quickly because, you know, depending on your draw stroke, you know, someone who does the shortest distance draw, for example, uh, they, they would shoot, shoot from the hip, right? They can come right to that holster and pop up right from the hip and then they can do their, their extension if they, if they're going to extend. And they, so they might say, Hey, that's a pretty fast contact shot. Yeah, sure. Totally. And, and if you train that and practice that, I think you could probably hit stuff within three to four yards. Uh, similar that, you know, I trained to bring that gun to, to, to center chest and that's where I might do contact shots or depending on the scenario, I might even bring it back kind of into my, into my strong, into my armpit and do my contact shots from there. And so that's what I train. And so I'm capable of doing that. Then it's a natural part of the progression of my draw stroke. Uh, and I think that's, that's kind of the point here is I, I, you, you know, we want you to actually just think about this concept that is your draw stroke universal enough? What are its potential points of failure and how do you mitigate those, those issues? Yep. I, I think that sums it up really well. Okay. Coolio. So let's transition to this like second part of our episode. It's like a two, two part episode because <laughs> we thought that these were important things to talk about, but we didn't think we could talk about them for an hour. So let's, let's talk gun law versus self-defense law. Uh, Matthew, we had a couple of news stories that mm-hmm. we dug up that I think are, we're going to kind of help introduce this. Uh, should we start with, oh, they're both out of Illinois, I guess, right? Yeah. I, I, yes, they are. Okay. In fact, are these the same news story on two different websites? I don't even know. No, these are, these are two different ones. Okay. So they just happen to have happen about a month, uh, less than a month apart and both in Illinois. Okay. Well, that's confusing. <laughs> okay. So let's start with uh, Illinois girl uh, Fox news. Let's do, let's start there. Yep. So uh, this one it occurred um, back. I'm trying to uh, December 1st. Okay. So December 1st, a teenage girl was shot in the chest. Okay. And this is how it went down. Um, she met another woman or a girl to, uh, do an online exchange or, uh, met over some online sale. So they meet up, um, they're going to, the one girl is going to sell a dog to this teenage girl. Um, the girl who's selling the dog is 21. The girl who ultimately ends up getting shot is a teenager. Uh, while the girl presents the dog to this teenager, she pulls out what later is determined to be a BB gun. But under the circumstances, uh, this girl believes she's being robbed, rightfully so, I think, uh, reasonably to believe that. She pulls out a firearm that she possesses that happens to not be a BB gun and a real gun and shoots the teenager in the chest. Okay, so this is what happens. Teenager who robs the girl during this exchange of the dog um, or sale of the dog gets arrested, rightfully so. Um, However, the woman who got robbed or the 21-year-old girl that got robbed and shot the other girl also gets arrested because she doesn't have the license to carry um, uh, a concealed firearm. So both end up getting arrested. Um, pretty. And what is inter- she charged with? Does it say her charges? Um, let me double check. I don't know if they were, it, it was just, um, charged with unlawful use of a weapon. Okay. Yep. Unlawful use of a weapon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so let's think about this a little bit. I want, I want to, I want to like ponder on this because we get these kind of questions all the time. For, here's the most common version of the question that brings us into this topic. The most common version of this question I get is someone to say, uh, what if I go into X gun-free zone, the movie theater, the restaurant, the whatever with my gun and there's an active shooter and I take him out. Like, am I in trouble? 
Mm-hmm. And th- that that is the most common question I get that that causes me to bring up this topic and help someone understand that, you know, if you break a law, you can be in trouble for breaking that law, but each individual action is judged independently for all the various laws that are out there, right? So if you, in this case, this woman, she defends herself and shoots someone, but she had a illegal gun on her, right? She didn't, it was her possession of a concealed gun was illegal. And so she was charged with the unlawful use of a fire. And that's what it says in the news story. And mm-hmm. that seems like a little bit vague. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know what the exact charges are, but she, it doesn't say she was charged with murder one or attempted murder or homicide or aggravated assault with a deadly weapon or any of those things. Right. Because it, it looks like a pretty clear cut of a pretty clear cut case of self-defense, right? So if we're looking at the self-defense law side of the coin, right? If it's a two-sided coin and the self-defense law realm, it looks justified. I mean, Mm -hmm. on the surface from what we know, right? Someone sticks you up with a gun, you know, and you defend yourself from the threat of being shot by shooting back. That seems pretty clear cut, right? We could get into the details there if we want, but that's, that's really not the point. Um, Now on this second other side of the coin, you had a concealed gun and you have no permit to have said concealed gun. So your possession of that gun was illegal. You are carrying it and bearing it about in, in this case, in this city or state or whatever it was, was illegal. Right. Okay. So what's the charge? Well, the charge then should be correlated with the crime, with what the law that was actually broken. And in this case, it, it kind of appears that it would, though illegal use of a firearm is a little bit unclear. So the second one's more is even more interesting. So the second one, also out of Illinois, uh, a little bit later in the month, I'd have to double check. I think it was like December 9th or 10th. Okay, D- Decatur, is that the name of the city? Decatur, is that how mm-hmm. you pronounce that? Yep. Illinois? Okay, so what you have is a 32-year-old man attacks a 29-year-old woman uh, while she's in her car. Now, apparently... In this case, uh, this was an ex-boyfriend or ex-husband. I'm trying to think what it was. Uh, oh, man. Oh, the, it just says father of her child. So that, you know, they, they're, they were involved somehow at some point, right? So the father of her child, uh, you know, he attacks her inside of her car. She beats her. Uh, the, the investigators say she has wounds, injuries, consistent with her face being beaten, which is what she said happened. Uh, she has a medical shunt in her head from a previous injury, so her risk of death was very high when someone's pounding her in the head. So she said she was afraid of being killed, and so she fired a shot in self-defense and hit this man. Okay. Now, despite this, officials decide to charge her with aggravated, unlawful use of a firearm because she did not possess a concealed carry license for the weapon she used to defend her life. Now, in this case, it looks like a little bit more uh, clear what she was charged with. And and this seems to not be consistent because <laughs> what I'm reading here is the the self-defense case looks pretty clear cut. Uh, her Her possession of the firearm was illegal, but in this case, she was charged with aggravated unlawful use of a firearm. Right which would appear that the charge was related to the self-defense use of that gun. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Well, I, I think there's a couple things going on. And first, I think we should, we should define it or, or, or make the preface and say, whether or not you agree with concealed carry laws or not, um, we have to operate in the reality that certain laws exist. And if there is a law that makes it illegal to possess a gun with a concealed gun, without a uh, permit, then we have to go off of the statutes that are in that 
in that state, right? So uh, on face value, possessing a gun, a concealed handgun without a license, even if you use it to defend yourself, would be in itself illegal. And I think to your point, Jacob, is, is that should not in any way affect whether or not your use of force was reasonable or not. Like they should be completely separate. There should be a wall between the two and say, yes, you are in illegal possession of a firearm. Um, however, that has no bearing on whatever, uh, you know, criminal charges we're going to charge with in regards to your self-defense use of self-defense. Um, that's, that's on its own, is it subjectively reasonable and all that stuff? Right. Um, but the interesting thing is, so there's, there's actually a legal description of this and it's called, uh, the doctrine of competing harms. And basically what it's saying in in this, in many States fall under this, um, under this premise, it's a legal premise, but, um, that you are able to break a law if breaking that law uh, is for the better good. So say you, you know, um, you pull out your firearm and it's illegal to possess a firearm in McDonald's or whatever, and you save your, somebody's life or your life. Yes. Uh, the, the doctrine of competing harms would say, yes, that was that, that we wouldn't necessarily charge you in, uh, in breaking the you know, private uh, property law of possession of a firearm, because that is is a much lesser, lesser harm. However, I think what's happening with these cases and why they're being arrested and charged with aggravated illegal possession or useful use of a firearm is they, and I haven't checked the statutes, but a lot of times gun crimes have mandatory sentences and, and, and they must be, you know, if, if you are arrested for this, you must be charged with this, right? Like there's no discretion. Um, and so I, I believe that this might be coming under the, under that umbrella of saying, yeah, we think carrying a concealed firearm is such an egregious crime that the, the doctrine of competing harms is almost the same as you saving your life you know, using it lawfully to save your life, but possession of a concealed firearm is so egregious that we're also going to charge you with this. And, you know, I'm suspecting that. I'm speculating because I don't know the the Chicago law. Yeah, Um, and it's it's not entirely relevant, frankly. Like, and and some people might want to know, well, you know, illegal use of a firearm, you know, are they being charged with having the gun illegally because they didn't have a permit or are they being charged with, you know, discharging said gun? Right. It's really not relevant because, I mean, there's there's one of three buckets and all three of these are possible and all three of these have happened and will happen, right? One one bucket is uh, you're charged with the crime you actually commit, right? You you broke the gun possession laws, so you're charged with a crime rel- re- relevant to that and not with the other. Uh, the second possibility is that you're charged with the wrong crime. Because you broke, because you committed a crime, right? Because you didn't have the concealed carry permit, but you did have the gun. Now, therefore, unlawfully, uh, therefore, we're going to charge you with this other thing that otherwise you wouldn't have been charged with, right? Because you broke one law, we therefore charge you with breaking others or multiple, uh, where otherwise it might have been a clear cut use of self defense. Not so much now. Uh, the third variation. The third version of this is sort of this, what I'll just call compounding effect issue that, well, because you're doing something illegal, we're therefore going to charge you with everything we can charge you with. Just kind of this general idea that let the courts sort it out problem. You know, it's like, well, 
you know, you, d- you don't have a permit. So therefore we're going to have to charge you with X. So let's also charge you with Y that it doesn't really matter. These two, two particular news stories, we use them just as an example to show that, you know, in these cases, charges were filed because seemingly based on the news reports, because the person did not have a permit that justified the possession of the gun. And, and I think this gets really messy because Self-defense law is relatively similar from state to state. We can get into that if we really care to, but gun law varies enormously. Mm -hmm. And I think people operate under one of several very bad premises. One is this idea of, well, you know, I never see a lot of stories of people being charged with gun law charges, right? With breaking gun laws. I only, you know, hear the stories about the big self-defense cases. And so I just don't worry about it. Another uh, potential issue is this idea of, well, it's worth breaking the gun law because if I ever use it in self-defense, it's worth having it. And, you know, and, and they're, they're not going to charge me with violation of these gun laws when I used it in my own defense, you know, in a justified shoot. Uh, so that's another bucket people sometimes put them, themselves in that I think is dangerous. And a third one, and this is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, is this like horrible, paranoid, uh, you know, obedience to and awareness of firearm possession laws to the point that it prevents you from being able to defend yourself uh, within the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I would. I, you, we lost your auto audio, Jacob. Oh, sorry, my dog's pulling on all my cables oh. from the table here. Oh, yeah. So, I'll, um, what I would say, what I would say to that is, there's, a, there is definitely, and this is why I kind of I preface this by saying, like, whether or not you you agree with the gun laws in whatever state you're in, I, I see this quite a bit where people will say, well, the Second Amendment is my permit, and you know, uh, I, I don't follow this law or that law or whatever, and if somebody arrests me, I'll just show them this, the, you know, the Constitution, and and they can go pound sand or whatever it is. Um, that's all well and good, but in practical speaking you're going to get arrested. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so you can, you can fight it and that's, that's an honorable and, you know, noble thing to do that. That's fine. Um, but if you want to operate with some sort of like confidence that what you're doing is legal and just, and, and, and you're not going to end up going to jail and being away from your parent, your, your, you know, your family and being able to provide for your family. Um, it behooves you to understand the difference between the two because it's not just, well, am I legal to, to you know, are, is my use of force legal? Yes. Then nothing else matters because a lot of other things matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me kind of change directions a little bit while we're but staying within this topic. And that another thing that I think gets really confusing is if we, if we lump gun law with self-defense law, then we assume self-defense law only applies to the use of a gun. Right. And of course it does not. Self-defense law applies to any use of force in defense. Right. So, so, you know, if I, if I punch someone in the face, self-defense law might apply, Mm -hmm. but gun law does not because there was no gun involved. Right. Uh, Similarly, you know, if it, 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 I don't know, similarly, I don't know where I was going with that, but, but that, that's really important because self-defense law is not just about guns. Self-defense law broadly is about defense mm-hmm. against a use of force by your use of force, whatever that might be. So, so understanding self-defense law on its own merits 
is really critical. And I, I struggle with this in my classes. You know, if I have students come through a, like a classroom type class where we're talking about self-defense law, it's, you know, obviously within the context of that class, my class is about guns, the use of guns and shooting people, uh, you know, to defend others. And so we, we, we tell all the stories and examples and we use it all in the context of the gun, but it's really critical that I somehow communicate to people that self, you know, these laws we're discussing are about any use of force. And that's why, you know, one of the five elements of self-defense, you know, in Andrew's you know, paradigm, which I, which I subscribe to and, and appreciate, is this idea of proportionality mm-hmm. and, and understanding that if you punch me in the face, that doesn't mean I get to shoot you unless you're Chuck Norris. Then, then that's definitely <laughs> a deadly threat. Um, well, not really. I, was, I saw that dude recently and he's pretty old, but, <laughs> but <laughs> once upon a time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chuck Norris is not what he used to be. I, I saw oh, him man. last year in Vegas. Did you see him at the Glock booth? He's no, I didn't. I, I, I'm glad because they probably would have killed me. First off, he's smaller than you think. Like Matthew <laughs> yeah, Barrister, small. Uh, and 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 second, he's he's old. Like he's he's it's not oh, like yeah. he has a walker. Like you know he he's he's fine, but he's he's in his eighties. So he's not going to roundhouse kick you. I don't think so. I think his I think his roundhouse kick days are over. Uh, John Claude, I'm not so sure. I think he could still give you a good a good smacking. But anyway, that's not the, the point. Is this idea of proportionality right? Self defense law applies to all use of force uh, when one is claiming that they use that force for the for the purpose of defense of themselves or or others. But gun law is about guns. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Jonathan uh, asked a pretty good question. So w- when we're talking uh, about the um, the story about uh, the on you know meeting up uh, to sell products, you meet up with somebody that you met online. He says, uh, any suggestions on monitored exchange areas such as police stations where firearms are prohibited, such as in Marion County, Indiana? And that's a really good point because, like, police departments know that this is a very uh, hot issue right like a lot of people are in in the dgus or defensive use or justified saves i always find stories of people that get into some sort of shootout or robbery when they're trying to sell something online right and so police departments set up these you know safe areas that are monitored with surveillance cameras and you can have a safe space to meet up Um, but many of these areas may be um, illegal to possess a firearm. So, you know, so you have to weigh that, like I'm going to meet somebody that I don't know. Um, should I risk bringing a firearm there and being in violation of this law? Or because if this person wants to rob me, they're not going to be in concern. They're not going to have any concern about violating the law, right? They're going to shoot me. So now I have no, so I think there's, there's an issue where, um, for me, um, if I'm going to, and I've, I've done it before, um, and in Ohio, we can even do private party uh, firearm transactions. And I've, I've sold guns um, legally through private party transaction. I meet somebody that I don't know. And, and you know, obviously, there's some potential for, uh, for, for some problems there. But um, we've never met, I've never met at a police department. Uh, I would suggest that if you're going to use one of these these things that you try to um, vet the person as much as you can online, social media, you can find out so much stuff about people. Um, 
also where you're meeting, you know, where you're getting these or meeting these people online, what kind of group it is. Are they completely off, you know, a, a, a cold email, you know, Hey, you're selling this, uh, let's meet up. Um, people that change the, the, the time or the place of meeting at the last minute, um, kind of indicators, but go to a place where it's, it's public, um, and that it's, relatively well, you know, well lit, go obviously during daytime where, um, you're likely to be around other people. Um, but yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to go to these places make sure wherever you're going to meet, if somebody says, Hey, I want to, I want to exchange at the police department parking lot that may, depending on your, your state may be, you know, a, a crime to even carry on the parking lot, depending or, or a school or, or, or church or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you can always go to the gun dealer. I bet your local gun dealer wouldn't mind hanging out watching you uh, do it, do a Craigslist transaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also would just say, don't go alone. You know, there's strength in numbers. So having two or three adults, mm -hmm. you know, at, uh, on your side of the transaction always goes a long way. Um, <laughs> I, I, we, I've seen a couple of comments here while we've been talking about this to the effect of, you know, the whole uh, judge by six carried or judge by 12 carried by six argument, which assumes you're actually going to get 12 men jury. But it, it, anyway, I, 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 I struggle with that, that when people say that I struggle when people say, well, I'd rather be judged by, by 12 than carried by six. And what I struggle with that is, is this, it kind of alludes to the idea, the concept that it's a binary decision. Mm -hmm. that it's an a b choice i must either you know get judged by 12 or i must be carried by six well i i hate binary decisions because they almost never exist very rarely in life do you actually have to have an a b decision there's almost always like a c choice like right. how about i avoid both like i don't die and i don't go to court uh you know i and and there are certainly theoretical situations where I am, I might have to choose, and in which case, yes, I'll choose the judged by 12 option. But I just think that we need to think less unilaterally. We need to think less less binarily. Is that a word? We need to think more about, well, I have the choice to avoid both. Mm -hmm. I can choose to not put myself in a situation where I'm breaking the law or putting myself in physical harm and risk. Most of the time, it would be a very rare circumstance I got to choose. Right. And, and, you know, and obviously I'll, I'll push back and say what probably a lot of people, well, you know, what if somebody, you know, you don't, you can't control every situation. No, you can't. And you can be ambushed and all kinds of stuff can go wrong. But like you said, there, we can control a lot of our, uh, the risk factor that we place ourselves into, right? Like we can control a lot of it. And I'm not saying become a hermit like me and never leave your house. I'm saying just be aware of your surroundings, be aware of where you're going, mentally prepare, um, you know, kind of be, be alert of what's going around. And, you know, that I think, and, it, and it's funny to me that a lot of the people that get involved in uh, like def defensive uses, DGUs, um, are not like the well-trained people that go out and shoot like thousands of rounds, uh, uh, you know, a, a month. And they're not usually off-duty police officers, right? Um, sometimes off-duty police officers intervene, but they're not usually like the, the subject of an assault. And you got to think, why is that? And it's because chances are the people that are shooting thousands of rounds a week or going to these tactical classes or police officers that are off duty are paying attention to the surroundings and not placing themselves in these scenarios as much as somebody who may be carrying a concealed handgun, but doesn't understand the thought process of being situationally aware and end up being the, the subject of an attack. 
And yeah. that's, I, I think, a big, big consideration. And self-defense laws are both relatively universal across all 50 states and pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know how else to say this. In, in the U.S., self-defense law is almost always on the side of a, of a justified moral ethical shooter. You, you'd be really hard stretched to give me an example of a scenario where you could act morally and ethically in your defense or the defense of another person with your firearm, and that would be considered illegal use of a firearm. It, it just, it'd be hard. I'm not saying you couldn't theoretically come with up with some scenario, but I'm saying that for the most part, laws in this country, self-defense laws, protect someone when they make a good moral decision about defense of life. That's right. just the way that works. Now, gun law, on the other hand, is a disaster. It varies enormously from state to state. It's not particularly just in most places, in my opinion. I, 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 even very pro-gun states like Texas, I can think of dumb things in Texas. A fire and possession in a vehicle by a non-permittee is ridiculous. The, the, the laws relative to establishments that serve alcohol and drive more than whatever the 50, that's stupid. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Florida is a very gun-friendly state. Arizona, Alaska, Wyoming, these are all gun-friendly states that, in my opinion, have gun laws that are stupid, okay, that just don't make any sense to me. So I don't know of a state that doesn't have a gun law I don't disagree with. <laughs> so, so that varies enormously. It's not particularly awesome. And so I tend to find that if I, if I am cautious enough to just follow gun law all the time, then I never have to worry about the binary decision of judged by 12 or carried by six because self-defense use is almost certainly going to be lawful because I've got the mindset that's defensive and I'm only going to step in to defend myself or someone else against a life-threatening thing in a way that I would deem moral. So I'm probably pretty covered on that side. What I really have to worry about is breaking gun law because that varies enormously. It's ridiculous. It's sometimes outright stupid. And as we've seen from these news stories reviewed today, Sometimes breaking the gun law will bring up charges that are that are ridiculous and put me in a position where I actually now have to go through a court case. I actually have to, you know, get representation. I have to do all this crap that otherwise I wouldn't have had to do. Right, and, and to underscore, I mean, gun laws are usually statutory, and they take away a lot of the prosecu- prosecutor or even police officers' discretion on whether they're going to charge for a certain crime. And what I mean by statutory is like, okay, you cross this line, you possess a firearm, therefore you are in violation of this law. It's pretty, it's pretty plain. Like you don't have to show any intent or knowledge of the law. You just have to statutorily or just be standing on the opposite side of this line. Whereas self-defense law, a lot of different factors go into play and it's it, it goes to a reasonableness of what you did. And so while you may have made some mistakes that not everybody agrees with, overall, your use of force was reasonable. So you may not go down the road of being charged with that, but statutorily, somebody's going to say, I don't have any discretion to not charge you with this because our gun laws are mandatory sentences. We're cracking down on gun violence and you, this is a felony and we can't just wave this and, 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 and wave it off. So statutorily, you're in violation. Therefore, we're charging you. And the judge doesn't even have discretion on sentencing. He can't even say, yeah, this is your first offense. You, you, you know, you were, you were defending yourself and we're, we're going to recommend instead of, you know, a three-year uh, prison sentence, we're going to say, you know, a year of probation or four or five years of probation. It's, hey, this is a mandatory sentence, three years of this violation. See you later. And so that's what kind of uh, catches a lot of people. And it, it, it's an eye opener, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, right? Just kind of this idea of it's a lot more black white, not to mention mandatory charges and sentencing. I think that's that's super valid. I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, one last thing that I think we should address before we kick it for the day. And this is coming from a live viewer. And it's a good question that I hadn't thought of when we started recording. And they ask, do self-defense insurance plans cover violations of firearm law? We definitely, you know, traditionally think of self-defense you know, insurance options like USCCA, CCW Safe, US Law Shield, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we think of those and we associate them with being defended against charges for our use of, of force, right? Oh, you shot this person. So we're charging you with homicide or murder or whatever. And so you now you call this insurance company and they take care of the legal fees and help you with X, Y, and Z resources. But do those providers... Uh, also cover me if I just get charged with illegal possession of a firearm because I'm in a gun-free zone or whatever situation place where I'm not supposed to have a gun or because my permit expired and I forgot to renew it or whatever thing, right? And I think that's a valid question. And, I, and the, the short answer is, I think, mostly no. Mostly those membership pro products are not designed to defend you against those kind of criminal actions. Now, there are some exceptions uh, that, that they certainly do kick in. Most of them, for example, now have some form of like red flag law coverage, uh, which is definitely a firearm law you know, issue, not a self-defense uh, issue. And there's other things too. That, I mean, that definitely some of them make a point to say, we will cover you if you're charged for illegal possession in a gun-free zone. Uh, so some of them have gone out of the way to make sure that that's part of their coverage. But it's certainly the, the plans are written and the contracts are written so as to primarily protect you uh, when when you're charged with an act relative to use of force. In fact, some of them are specific to just guns. If yeah. you stab someone or hit them over the head with a candlestick, uh, you know, then then you're you're not covered. You're you're not even covered there. Only with a gun. Though, though most of them these days, especially the, the top three players, which I think I mentioned, um, they will cover any use of a weapon, any weapon use. Yeah. And I think that that kind of why some states are not allowing uh, self-defense insurance kind of goes around that that premise that like, well, you can't insure something that's illegal. And they're assuming that you defending yourself is illegal. I, 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 might, I might be oversimplifying it, but I think um, they're, they're kind of conflating self-defense law and gun law. Am yeah. I wrong? Or no, uh, I, I think that's valid. I think that's 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 very valid. So. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go call, you know, call or send an email to your company that you're currently insured by and ask those questions and say, hey, would I be covered for this or for this or for this? And, and you can, you know, they would hopefully tell you and, you know, save the email. <laughs> so in case it ever comes up. But I think it's it's worth looking into. All right, Matthew, anything else uh, egregious that we've missed or skipped or neglected to say? I hope not. I mean, you you've wrapped it up really well. So, yeah. Okay. There you have it. So people, hope, thank you for joining us today. You know, we covered two topics. First, we talked about one draw stroke to rule them all. You know, is your draw stroke really as universally applicable as it could be? We talked about things like covering, you know, clearing cover garments or dealing with having gloves on or, you know, presentation to target, whether, you know, the straight push or the shortest distance technique or dealing with objects in your environment or being in close quarters, uh, whether that's to make contact shots or if that's just to deal in tight quarters where there's lots of you know, stuff in your environment that's in the way of a presentation to target. 
And we also talked a lot about the differences between self-defense law and gun law, laws that, that regulate the use and possession of the gun versus laws that regulate uh, one's use of force in defense of themselves or others, and why a distinction between those two different types and parts of law is important and what the potential consequences can be of, of breaking them. So that is the story. All right. Before we end, Matthew, one thing. Yes. There's a debate going on in our Facebook feed right now about whether or not a Marine can be an ex-Marine. Now, you're you're a Marine. Right. And if I called you an ex-Marine, would uh, you correct me? Yeah, maybe. So, uh, probably not because it, it. a lot of people just refer to i mean in, in the marine corps is the only branch by the way that like says once you're a marine you're always a marine like yeah it's it's, I, a, it's a it's a dictated thing like right because yeah. it's a title that's earned uh that we like to think it's not just something that like anybody can become a marine so you know once you've earned that title you, you you've kept that title the marines you know you you can wear, even if you cross deck over to another service uh you can still wear your marine marine corps ribbons and and, and medals and your uniform because that's you're a marine you've earned that title so i mean i don't know you're not an active duty marine are you still a marine at heart you are because you still uphold the core values um so yeah but uh, you're discharged i mean you can't like show up at the base and be like no i'm still a marine Right. No, you're not active duty, but, um, you're, you know, you go to any other Marine and they'll, they'll say, Hey, Marine, like, not like, you know, th that's the first thing they'll say is like, Hey, you're a Marine. Uh, that's awesome. So yep. it's, it, I don't know. And it, it's just a spree de corps type thing. So yep. I don't, two. I don't get too wrapped up about it. <laughs> we, we do have two Marines in our, in our company. And, uh, if I've learned anything, it's that they, they will push back if you call them ex-marines <laughs> so if okay sorry i had i had to i had to just get that debate out of the way thanks everyone for listening today remember to check out law of self-defense i encourage you specifically to get the level one core class it's available on dvd or live streaming for that matter you can find it and more information at www.concealedcarry.com forward slash l-o-s-d also, don't forget to check out our Legal Boundaries by State book. It's the most comprehensive resource you can find for all the various gun laws for all 50 states plus D.C. You can find that at concealedcarry.com forward slash gun law book. So for a reminder for those of you who you know, don't know, I guess, that we pull a winner every Tuesday episode. And to win, you do not need to be present in the live broadcast to win. You just have to have entered on the webpage, www.concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. So please remember to do that every single week. You do have to enter every week for each individual week's giveaway. This week, what are we giving away, Matthew? I believe it is the boar stick. The o Otis boar, uh, boar stick. So the boar stick is... Uh, they came up with this like two years ago. It's an interesting product. And the, the basic idea is that you stick this into the muzzle of the gun and it creates kind of like, a, like an air seal to prevent moisture from getting in there and from, from causing rust in the, in the barrel. So it's, it's kind of meant for like a long-term storage solution for the gun. Yes. All right, here we go. I'm going to hit the magic button here. Picking the winner now. All right, the winner is John... Last name begins with the letter G as in golf. John G, you are the winner. You have a Gmail email address and your email address is your name, your name at gmail.com. So John, thanks for participating in our weekly giveaway as the podcast. You won the Otis Boar Stick. So I will send you an email and we will get you all set up with your Boar Stick. Cool. All right, guys. 
that's the story. That's the deal. Thanks for being with us today, Matthew. Appreciate you, uh, you know, tagging along Thank and you, all your wonderful input. Oh, sorry for it was my fault that we started an hour late. So, not Jacob's fault. My fault. Oh, <laughs> it's all good. So, people, remember: train often, train right, to train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mind you that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.